0: I feel like a lot of people who grew up in Australia have a good drowning story, right? I, I, don't, I don't have a great drowning story. I've, I know people who have great ones, um, like not tragic ones, like life-saving ones. Um, my closest call was probably when I was, I was doing my bronze medallion, um, which is a course where you're trained to become a surf lifesaver. And and I was gonna um, I was gonna become a lifesaver wear the cool red and yellow shorts save people's lives, um, but in the test to prove that you're a good enough swimmer to to be a lifesaver, I I had my closest call with drowning then, which is not a time you want to have your closest call because um, yeah I failed I failed the test so bad that that they thought they were gonna have to save me it was a cold. December morning, uh, down on the coast in Fairhaven, the storms were, were high and I just could not complete the course. Um, I managed in the end to, to become a lifesaver. I did one shift, um, but I had to do the test at like a bay beach in Port Melbourne where it was really flat. Um, I probably, probably shouldn't have been a lifesaver because, you know, I, I failed the test. Um, but we all know what it's like to be drowning in life. Maybe some people have, have faced that sort of thing in actual water, but all of us have, have um, just been smashed by the storms of, or the waves of life at, at times. Hard pressed on every side is the language of, of the Apostle Paul. And we can't be the lifesaver. We need a lifesaver. We don't pass the test. We can't do it. And we finally meet the fish today. that's why our, why the series is called "Fish and Ships. We meet the fish. And in this chapter, the Lord provides a fish, and Jonah prays. And the Lord provides a fish because he's compassionate and grace, compassionate and gracious. He's abounding in love and mercy. And yet it's because the Lord's compassionate and grace, gracious, that Jonah finds himself in this situation, of course. Last week, um, Jonah couldn't handle God's mercy. He couldn't handle that God wanted to, to send him to his enemies, the Ninevites. It was too much, and Jonah ran away from God. We discussed that Jonah's hard heart was too small to see how big God was. So this chapter, this chapter is about the Lord providing a fish and Jonah's prayer. Last week, we said God's bigger than we think and, and we, He's bigger than we think. We saw particularly that that's to do with the reach of His love to His enemies and the extent of His authority, that He's Lord over the seas, that He can do what He wants, that you can't control or escape Him. We saw that the, the, Jonah rejected those two things the pagan sailors actually benefited from those things and, and they actually received God. This week, we're reminded that God's bigger than we think again, but this time in terms of the depth of his saving love. for one person, for Jonah. And we see this week the magnificence of his divine power. He's going to do something that confounds marine biologists, that confuses us. So the power of God and the prayers of his people. First thing I want to talk about is that Jonah happened or why I think the fish bit is a fish. So we've got a fish joke in there still, a fish short for official. Um, that's, That's enough of that though. The story says verse 17 of chapter 1, the Lord provided a huge fish. Now, if he can send storms, if he can still seize, I guess he can provide a fish. But it gets even more wacky. It says, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the verse which makes Jonah so, so famous. Um, there's a lot of questions we have though. What are some questions you've got coming out of, of that verse? Any questions? Maybe what kind of fish? So, have you heard it, is it? Have you heard it being called a whale? Doesn't say a whale there though. Could be a whale. Could be a Loch Ness monster, if that's a thing. Could be some sort of sea monster. We're not sure what it is. You know, one of the questions I ask is: is Was he like eaten, or did he seep through like plankton? You know? That's a question I ask when I read this. I'm like, I, my mind goes to plankton, but that's just me. You know, how did he avoid getting sick? Surely the stomach of a sea creature is not a hygienic environment um, to be in. I don't know, I haven't done my research, but I don't think disinfectant um, sort of, uh, that you put on your hands at the hospital, I don't think he had that on him. Most importantly, how did he stay alive for three days and three nights in, in the belly of a fish? And the text doesn't, doesn't answer these questions and because the text doesn't answer these questions, some believe that this, this story of Jonah is more likely a parable than history. I, I sympathise with that. I, I understand that it can be hard to believe that some of these incredible things happened. And I want to say you're allowed to have that interpretation. Like you can still be a Christian. Um, it, there are biblical scholars who, who think it's a parable and that's okay. Um, and I want us to be a community where you can wrestle with your doubts, where you can come with your, your questions, the things that confuse us. And, and I really want us to be a community where we can wrestle with our doubts with each other and with Jesus not apart from each other and apart from Jesus. Because a lot of, a lot of the time, one of the, the reasons young people leave the church often is they feel like they can't bring their doubts, their questions. They feel like this is just too, this is beyond what they could comprehend. And so they go, I have to wrestle with my doubts um, on the internet, apart from community, apart from inviting Jesus into that space. But, but Jesus wants us to engage in community with him so if you find this too complex, that's okay. But I do think that the fish bit is a fish and, and I want to tell you why I think it happened. Um, firstly, I believe in miracles. So I believe that things happen that confound scientists, that things happen which, which are beyond um, rational explanation. The world is spiritually charged, particularly... Um, you guys might know people, or you guys yourselves know that outside of Western culture, it's super normal to, to just know that this world is spiritually charged, that, that miracles happen. Um, many people around the world have, have dreams, have experienced healing, have seen miracles happen. I've experienced some things myself. I know people who have. I can't make sense of a world without miracles. I think for me, it's easier, even though miracles are, are, are epic and different and maybe outside of just like your normal Monday morning, a world without miracles seems to me harder to believe than than a world with miracles, a world de- devoid of the supernatural that's all just material, even though some stuff is, is confounding. I believe we, we live in what... Charles Taylor calls it an enchanted world not a disenchanted world so I believe in miracles I believe in God which is good because you know I'm a pastor so phew. Um, but but I've met God in my heart soul mind the way that Jesus speaks of loving the Lord your God I've met God in all of those those ways through the spirit through the scriptures through love I, I really believe I've met God through the love of his church that, that you can actually be loved into to the faith, and and then come to to faith through that. As the prophet Habakkuk says, he says, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. And I've heard of his fame, stand in awe of his deeds, and and because I testify to knowing the God who works miracles, large, small miracles that are impressive and miracles that are are just internal and, and matters of the heart. And the greatest miracle of all, the resurrection of Jesus. Because of that, I believe all things are possible. Which brings me to Jesus. I believe in the resurrection and the God I know is He who is revealed in Jesus. And Jesus' teachings, Jesus' story, who He was and what He did and the movement that that came after Him, that He started with His disciples. That whole story... That whole event, that whole movement makes better sense of the world as as I see it and experience it than anything else. What Jesus did and said, what the early church did and said, what we have in the Gospels and and in the New Testament, I believe is historically true. You can do all sorts of research and it seems to be the case. But but what Jesus did and said and what the early church did and said also holds deep um, cultural, emotional, personal, social weight. We've been talking about this at book club a little bit. But these teachings, Jesus, he he changed the world. Like that, you just look at history, he changed the world because he answers the deepest questions of, of human existence, our deepest questions of love and life and hope happiness, peace, purpose are most sensibly, most satisfactorily and most eternally answered by him. I think we all need a a coherent philosophy to live by. We all need to commit to something. And so I ride with Jesus. And because I trust Jesus, that's actually the main reason I think Jonah happened. Because in, in, in Matthew's biography, Jesus is speaking with the Pharisees and teachers of the law and, and he says, they ask for a sign. And he says, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And then Jesus says this line, he says, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. It seems to me that Jesus reckons Jonah happened. And because Gina, Jesus reckons Jonah happened, I... I think Jonah happened. And the fact that Jonah happened demonstrates the the magnificent, tremendous, miraculous power of God. That that the three days in the belly of a fish and three nights, somehow alive, somehow we don't know if it was plankton or a whale or if he was bitten or chewed or just sort of seeped through there. We don't know a lot about what happened. But if Jonah happened, Wow. And his love and power are incredible too because what I would have done with Jonah if I was in God's shoes, man, I would have let that guy drown for sure. He's bigger than we think in power and in love. So that's the power of God. That's the God we're dealing with. He's the center of reality. Knowing Him is more pressing than our shopping list, than our to-do list, than, than the notifications on our phone or the exam tomorrow. His power, His love and His grace being real means there's nothing more central to reality. And so what do we do about that? We pray. Jonah prayed. I want to title this section, How to Pray When You're Drowning. Jonah Pray. The story says that from inside the belly of the fish, so this is chapter 2, that Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And then we get this song. Um, Jackie was telling me that in his Hebrew exam on Jonah, they didn't have chapter 2 because it was like special. It was poetry. And it's this poem or this song here where where it sort of accounts or recounts Jonah's prayer. And it seems to be saying that Jonah was praying as he was drowning and then it also just said there that that he prayed inside the fish. Um, And his prayer speaks of his distress, his desperation. Um, It's really interesting, in this whole narrative, he's been going down. If you look closely, he went down to Joppa. And then he went down into the bottom of the boat. And he went down into the sea. And then in his prayer, it keeps t- talking about him going down. He goes down into the dark depths of the seas. It says, down towards the roots of the mountains. It's a very poetic description of drowning. Like if I'm drowning, I'm not thinking like poetry at that stage, like in down to the roots of the mountains, but um, such is, is Jonah's uh, writing voice that, that he wanted to put that in. And then it says in verse 6, But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Jonah's been going down, 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 and then the Lord brings him up. Somehow God shows Jonah grace at the very bottom of the ocean, as low as he can go. So often that's how grace works. You have to get as low as you can go, and then you look up. God's grace, even in the lowest places. And it's it's quite a twist, actually. For all of Jonah's rejection, Jonah also turns to the God of grace in this moment. When he gets to the end of himself, he turns his eyes to God. And it's actually spectacular the faith Jonah has. Verse 4, Jonah says, it seems to say like while he's drowning, he says, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Like somehow he's he's in the midst of this drowning, you know. He probably sees this huge gigantic monster that he's going to get eaten by. He's like, I am cooked, and he's like, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. And whenever it says holy temple in the Old Testament, we can think his presence because his temple was synonymous with his presence. He anticipates God's salvation. So Jonah's praying from, from inside the fish. He's praying as he's drowning. He's praying in desperation. He's praying repentance. He prays promises that he's going to proclaim God's salvation. We notice in this prayer that for as, as beautiful and poetic as it is, prayer is messy. There's no perfect way to pray. That, that sometimes you're praying from inside a fish. And I, I, I pray that you guys won't have to pray from, from inside a fish. But sometimes, it seems at least for Jonah... You do. It's probably true that, that sometimes you're going to have to pray as you're drowning or as it feels like you're dying. I think it's cool that you know, if you're underwater, what's, what's the one thing you should not do? Open your mouth and start praying. He, like prayer's, prayer's messy. He can't even open his mouth and at the same time, that's the time for prayer. We pray when we're drowning, we pray when we're saved, we pray when we're, we're full of relief and joy. And there's no perfect way to pray. There are some models. Jesus gives us the best model that we've got, the Lord's Prayer. It doesn't answer all our questions though, but it's a great, great place to learn to pray. Also the Psalms, the Psalms teach us to pray. And Jonah actually had been soaking in the Psalms for so long, praying through the Psalms, that his prayers were informed by the Psalms. So you look at Psalm 42, it says, Deep calls to deep, in the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. This would have been a classic prayer that um, God's people would pray. And Jonah, as he's praying, prays something very similar. It's like his, his prayer life was actually shaped... By spending time in in the in the Psalms of Israel. So we can learn to pray from some cool places, some great people, Jesus particularly. But often we've got to just like work it out on the fly as well. We've got to do it in the midst of the storm, in the belly of the fish. Often we learn to pray in the secret place where no one's looking. Like There was no one to watch Jonah in the belly of the fish. There was no spiritual performance. He was on his own in the secret place. And so I just want to um, discuss a couple of principles of prayer that I I take from Jonah. First of all, I think the praying life needs to have an awareness of our need and God's power. So we've got to be aware of our need that we can't save ourselves that we're not good enough to be lifesavers like I was not good enough to be a lifesaver and that we need life saving. You know, I failed, the, I failed the test, the practical test of the bronze medallion, but I passed the theory. And in the theory you learn all these great Australian swimming principles, like if you get stuck in a rip, don't swim against the rip, just call for help. You know, don't, don't try and fight yourself, just flag for help. And the praying life needs to begin with an awareness of our depravity, that we just need a flag for help, that we can't lift ourselves out. And, and we live in a world where you're expected to present confidence, we are expected to, to give that, that impressive presentation, that appearance of, of having it all sorted, that, that you show your best, hide the rest, but if we're going to be praying people, we've got to be honest about our flaws and deficiencies, our needs. Otherwise, we're going to be swimming against the rip. And I don't watch those Bondi Rescue shows, but I don't think it works well when you swim against the rip. You've got to flag for hell. A great practice for this is confession. We confess our sins before God, but also to one another. Just saying, look, I'm, I'm not all that. There's, there's stuff in my life, and I just pray God, God's going to deal with that those of you who are doing mentoring and triad relationships, I encourage you, practice confession in those spaces. Just say, yeah, there's some areas where I just need a flag for help. And, and then I pray that you guys are doing that before God as well. So the diagnosis is that we're drowning our need. But if we just have the diagnosis without any help, we're still going to drown, right? You know, If you're flagging for help and there's no lifesavers there, there's not much good. So the solution is the power of God, his power to save. We need to know his power and his love. And the praying life, what's what's brilliant about the praying life is that um, God gives us all these beautiful ways to remember his power and his love. So the praying life is the life that's in Scripture. Remembering the deeds of God, hearing of his fame. You know, being in church, sharing stories, hearing of people's testimonies, how God's working, remembering how God's worked in your life. In the Old Testament, God often commands His people just to remember. Remember who He is, what He's done. Sometimes when I pray, I pray with my pinkies in the air, and um the the Israelites uh used to do this. It's it says in in Hebrew tradition. It's not like it's not locked in. It's not a, a biblical thing you have to do or anything like that. But um. They'd pray the, the, I'm blanking on it, but the um, numbers. What's the famous thing that they used to pray? Hebrew. The Shema, that's the word. The Shema. They'd pray the Shema with pinkies in the air because they're remembering that in the pinky of Yahweh is more strength than all the armies of the world and all the armies of Egypt. And sometimes I just pray with my pinkies to remember His power. So I think that's our need, his power is, is one principle of, of, of prayer that we get from Jonah. The other is, is a cycle of, of desperation, dependence and devotion. And I think these three um, are always at work. Like it's not some sort of, you don't, you don't get through desperation and then you're like on to the next one. That we're constantly in this, this life cycle of, of desperation, dependence and devotion. That we're desperate for him. We have need. We're we're flagging for help. We depend on him. This is why Jesus says um, his daily bread, that every day we actually need to depend on him for sustenance, for life, for strength, for wisdom, for our future, for world peace, for salvation, for ourselves, our friends, our family, for renewal in our city, for spiritual and and cultural and political, for renewal in... um, Places where things are not going well. We need to depend on him for that stuff. That's a, a praying life is a dependent life. We've got to walk around just being dependent in everything we do. Resisting the illusion that we are in control, that we can do everything, that we can, can have everything, that we can be everywhere and know everything. Surrender. <coughs> um, I could go on about metaphors to do with life-saving because even as you're getting saved, you have to really not flail around and surrender. But but a dependence on God is is central. But also a devoted life, a life of, a praying life is a life full of passion and devotion. Jonah says at the end, he says, I'm going to say with shouts of grateful praise, this is the last verse of of Jonah chapter 2, or second last verse. With shouts of grateful praise, what I vowed I'll make good. I'm going to say salvation comes from the Lord. The praying life is, is desperate and dependent, but it's also devoted. It's also full of, of passion and love, intimacy with God. Sometimes in, in a love relationship, it's easy to remember commitment because you've got to commit and forget passion. But commitment and passion are both important. You can't have one without the other. I mean, you can, but it's not ideal. You can't have a, a good, loving relationship without both. So the praying life is, is the with God life. It's more, it's more than just talking to God. It's being with God. It's living with Him in the midst of the storms, when you're, you're almost drowning, when you're wrestling with doubts, when you're crying out for help, when you're praising and proclaiming salvation comes from the Lord. It's a life of God-awareness in a world of distraction. It's a life of looking up in a world where we're, we're constantly looking down. If we're not looking down at a device, we're looking sideways at, at someone else or, or some other sort of marketing or task. Or, but the praying life is a life that looks up. And Jonah had to, to turn and look up. And God's so good that Jonah commands the fish to spit Jonah out and give him another chance. And the amazing thing is Jonah is going to fluff this chance. Like, like this is the only chapter that's that's positive for Jonah. And he almost drowns. But Jonah's going to fluff this and yet God's still gracious to him. He gives him another chance. And and we're not going to nail this. We're not going to walk out of, of this week and, and just be dominant prayers. Not that you can be dominant prayer, like it's an act of humility. But But Jonah fluffs it up and we fluff it up and God God still loves him and wants to give him this chance and that's the God we're dealing with. That's the God we get to to pray to and, and live with. He's the very center of reality. Let's pray. Father, may we fear you. And at the same time, may we draw near to you. We really believe, I, I say for myself, and I, I know many of my brothers and sisters here, reckon like you're so legit that there's no other option in this life. There's no other thing or being that could be the center of reality, that you, the God who parted the Red Seas, who, who did this with Jonah, who, who sent your son to live, to die, and to, to be raised again, that you're the center of, of everything and center of reality. And so may we just know your power and love this, this day, even right now, and may you compel us to into a praying life a life of responding and and being with you in in your desperation dependence devotion aware of of who we are and who you are our need and your your saving grace may we fear you and may we draw near to you in Jesus name i pray amen